Right, thank you, Johnny and Megan. Uh, good morning, Christmas morning. Merry Christmas to all of you. Appreciate you being here, uh, whether in person or online. We're grateful that you're a part of uh, our worship of our birth Savior this morning. Uh, I want us to open our Bibles uh, for a devotional thought this morning from uh, the book of John. These verses are commonly read at this time of year, and uh, they are uh, significantly uh, of importance to us this morning and certainly in our lives. John said, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. I want us to jump ahead to verse 14, where John says, no one has seen God at any time. God, the only Son, who is in the arms of the Father, he has explained him. And so I want us to flesh that out, if you will, this morning, fleshing out Christmas and the meaning of Christmas, the meanings and the intentions that, that God had for the redemption of the created order. The central theme of Christmas, obviously, is that God came as a baby. And the interesting history of Scripture is, is that you see God laboring, working to to draw Israel into relationship with him, into greater communion with, with one another, this covenant that was established with Abraham. And yet we see in all these various and sundry ways that God has worked powerfully in the midst of, of the world, especially within the life of, of the people of, of Israel. We see time and time again in these Old Testament narratives that uh, that they chose to remain alienated from God. Torah was ignored. Covenants were broken. Temple was corrupted. And yet, though that is the pattern over and over and over again, what was the response of God? I will go to them in a way that I never have before. Instead of displays of great power that perhaps will overwhelm them, wow them, draw them to me. Instead of the idea of judgment, which I have done and it has proved futile, I'm going to try another way. I will come to them in flesh. I will come to them as a baby in a manger in the most unanticipated circumstances. It's uncanny to me to think that the Lord of creation, the one who knows all, sees all, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present, the creator of the universe, would choose to come as a babe who cannot even lift his head. Maybe the rationale was maybe God said, you know, everybody loves a baby. I haven't been able to draw them to me, but of everybody, everyone loves a baby. A baby changes the room. A baby always brings joy and, and hope and peace and love. I don't know, it's mere speculating, trying to get out in front and guess the, this, this God creator, what he is trying to do and what he was seeking to do. I think there was more to it. I think John has captured the essence of what God was seeking to do through 
through his son, through this sending forth of this one who is the word. I think what God was doing is he was making a statement, a statement to the entirety of, of the created order. He was making a statement to those that are, that are searching for God, that would desire to know God in ways that are personal and intimate. I think that through this one, this one that we call Jesus, who is the Christ, I think that he was making a, a statement of philosophical fulfillment. And that's the very essence of what he has said here in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, the Logos. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That, that phrase, that word, Word, it had a very familiar ring to that to that audience, that first audience that would read these words and hear these words. You and I normally think of that term, word, that word, word. You and I think of a word as being a vehicle through, through which we convey thoughts and, and meanings. We, we use words to, to convey ideas and thoughts that we are having. It, words are the means by which we communicate. But in that Greco-Roman world, when, when that audience heard John's language here, that in the beginning was, was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It was a day and time that was inundated with philosophical thought. Those who ponder, philosophers well known, those who who ponder the meaning of, of the universe, those who ponder how, how things work. Those who ponder the systems of the world, those who ponder what is it that, that unifies and, and ties us all together, what, what is the prevailing principle that holds all things together? And so there was this philosophical ideal in the days of, of John that to discover this philosophical principle, this prevailing principle that, that holds all things together, ties all things together, that was the Word, the Logos. It's similar to our use. If we were to speak of such things in our language today, you and I would be more likely to use a term like, like reason. We would talk about reason. We would talk about uh, rational thought. We would think about what is that, that that is intelligible. And the Greeks are, are much like that. They, they would think as they would look out into the universe as we would, as they would look out into the created order, the Greek, the Greek mind would, would see order. They would not see chaos. And so what is it that... I believe that this universe has, has order, that it is not a universe of, of chaos, but, but what is the prevailing principle that, that ties all of this together and, and gives to it a sense of order? And so the word was something that was very familiar to this, to this audience. Heraclitus, a pre-Socratic philosopher, would talk about the logos, the word. Heraclitus would even use the word God as a prevailing wisdom within, within the universe. 
Even the Stoics, by the time of, of Jesus, even the Stoics would, would use this term logos, this, this word as being the very thing that, that ties all things together. And so what John is saying to us is that, is that in the beginning was the word, that which ties all things together, that which brings meaning to all things. In the beginning was, was the word. It was there in the beginning. And the Word was God. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. Everything, in other words, acts in accordance to the Word. So his audience would not have been troubled by these words, not, not verse 1. But the stumbling block would, would come in, in verse 14, where John makes the declaration, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory as, as of the Son, from, as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now you have a stumbling block. But notice again, listen to verse 18. No one has seen God at any time. God, the only Son, who is in the arms of the Father, he speaking of the Word, speaking of this one Jesus. John makes this declaration. He has explained him. In other words, everything that you and I ever wanted to know about God, any question that you and I may have ever had regarding the creator of the universe, it is, he is explained in Christ Jesus. Jesus would even make the declaration regarding himself in John's gospel. John records it in chapter 14 and, and in verse 6. He makes this philosophical statement about himself, this fulfilling philosophical statement when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. I want you to see what Jesus did there. I am the way, the way is the word for Eastern thought. Eastern cultures, Eastern religions are, uh, are those who speak of the way and trying to find meaning and purpose in, in life. Western thought is, is consumed with, with truth. I'm the way, I'm the truth. Whatever it is, the people of an ancient Eastern world are looking for, a Western world uh, are looking for, I'm it. And what everyone is looking for, I'm the way, I'm the truth. No man comes to the Father but by me. I am what brings meaning to life. Only in me can life as God intended it be known and be realized. So in this statement in John 1, we see that it's a statement, not just of philosophical fulfillment, but it's also a statement of cosmological affirmation. Now, cosmology has to, do, has to do with the study of origin, the origin and nature of the universe. You may hear the words in, in scientific uh, circles, uh, this idea of cosmology. It's just the study of the origin and the nature of the universe. But here's God, in the Word of God, this statement is being made. John is saying, listen, what God has done through Christ Jesus, it's, it's a cosmological affirmation 
In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, not even one thing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of mankind. Now, you can't miss it, what John is trying to do. John is coalescing this this person of Christ, this Christ child, the Word. He is coalescing this with the the creation narrative in, in Genesis 1. And we have to understand the purpose of of Genesis 1. It is making a a statement. The statement in Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created. That is a faith assumption. The writer, when he penned Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created. that That is an a priori statement of faith. The ancient Near Eastern writer is saying, I believe that God is the agent. He is saying, God is the agent that brought about creation. Now, listen, the ancient Near Eastern writer, Moses was not attempting to answer our Western questions of how, when, and why. The ancient Near Eastern writers are concerned only with who. That's the only statement That is the only assertion that the ancient Near Eastern writer is making about the creation event. He doesn't pretend to know when. He doesn't pretend to know how. He doesn't pretend to know why. He knows who. God is the agent acting in creation. It's very significant for us to understand this, that when we read especially the Old Testament, the Old Testament writers, the ancient Near Eastern culture, had had a very different worldview from, from the Greek worldview that was, that was behind our New Testament. Let me give you an analogy of the difference. If I was to suddenly go back to the day of Moses, that ancient Near Eastern culture, and I was to just snap my fingers, go back into that ancient Near Eastern culture, and I had with me an automobile. Of course, the uh, Hebrews would gather around that, somewhat curious. They'd never seen anything like an automobile, and and I would explain to them that, that this is something that transports an individual from A to B. Point A to point B. The ancient Near Eastern mindset would go, oh, okay. Turn around and walk off. Now, let's say the same thing happens about 2,000 years ago. I snap my fingers. I go 2,000 years back in time to the times of Jesus. And I have this automobile with me. The Greeks are going to gather around and they're going to say, what in the world is that? I say, it's an automobile. They say, how does this thing work? And I say, well, it has an engine that drives, there's a drive shaft. Well, what do you mean an engine? Well, let me raise the hood here. here here's an engine. This is what drives it. Well, how does this engine work? Well, let me, let me take these, let me take these, uh, here, here, let me take these covers off. Here's some pistons and, and here's some valves. The valves give and take and fuel and air is mixed and there is combustion and, and it, and it drives a drive shaft. And, and by the time we get through with all the Greek and all, dealing with the Greek audience and their questions, the entire automobile is disassembled. The Greek mind, curious about detail. The ancient Near East culture, they had no such questions. Our questions of why and how 
would not have even entered into their mind. It was sufficient for them that in the beginning, God was the, was the agent acting in creation. And so that is, that is the assertion of John. But when we think of creation, listen, we most often think of creation just in terms of Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. But listen, we need to think of God and our understanding of God is God is continuing his creative works. Even now, the writer of Revelation, John would say again in Revelation 21 in verse 5, that the one who sits on the throne says, behold, I am creating all things new. And so God, even today, is doing a creative work among his people for his redemptive, sovereign purposes to be fulfilled. But there's a final statement that I believe God is making here in verses 9 through 14. I believe God that in Christ, God in Christ has made a statement of divine illumination it says in, in verse 9, this was the true light that coming into the world enlightens every person. Enlightens every person. There is no, there is no limitation upon, upon what God desires that uh, for all humanity, that all might be saved. Not that all will, those, only those who respond in faith and, and trust. But it was the purpose of God to enlighten every person. Verse 10, he was in the world and the world came into being through him. And yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not accept him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word of God, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. What God has done, God has done for all. Now what strikes me in this passage, and again, if we, if we listen well to sermons, we have to, we have to listen ourselves into the narrative that it's not just about someone, someone else, somewhere else, but it's us here right now. That the things that are being spoken of are things that apply even to us today. And what has always struck me in the reading of John 1 is that he was rejected not by, listen, I'm, I'm not surprised that I'm not surprised that what God has revealed through Christ Jesus, I'm not surprised that he was rejected by the barbarians. I'm not surprised that he was rejected by the pagan Gentiles. I'm not surprised that he was rejected by the Greeks. What should shock us is that he's rejected by his own. By those who are closest to the things of God. Those most familiar with the things of God. Those who had the greater access to, to the scriptures, the sacred text, and, and the word of God. 
Oh, but it can happen easily, can it not? Even for a people like us who are so close to the things of God, who have opportunities Sunday in, Sunday out to hear, to hear the preaching of the Word of God, of how we can listen, but not really hear. So what John wants to make sure we see is that, is that God through Christ Jesus has illuminated our mind to the redemptive purpose, purposes of God in that when our lives have, have, our minds have been illuminated, when the purposes of God have been illuminated in this one who is the Christ, our minds are enlightened with illumination comes enlightenment to where we now see and we now understand. But with that illumination and with that enlightenment comes responsibility. Comes responsibility to live our lives in accordance to that to which our minds have been enlightened and our hearts transformed. Don't miss what God has done through Jesus who is the Christ. It means that you and I in this quest to know God, to understand God, we no longer need look up to the heavens in speculation. But we can look down now. We can look into a manger knowing that God is not up there distant, detached, remote, but he is now God here with us, Emmanuel. And God, how we give thanks for this truth. On this day when so many things can, can stand in the path of our, of our understanding, when so many things can clutter our minds, Father, continue to enlighten us and illuminate the way you would have us to go. Thank you for the gift of Jesus. Thank you for the gift of eternal life. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.